Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. It is football season, so he is Dave Simone. Even though basketball season starts Friday, as the Bearcats have their first practice of the 2019-20 season, the first official practice of the John Brannon era on Friday. So plenty to look forward to there. But we are back into the swing of things on football as the team travels down the double-A highway to Huntington, West Virginia, my old stomping grounds to take on the Marshall Thundering Herd, Saturday, 5 o'clock. It's on Facebook Live, or Facebook Watch, I think, is it Facebook Watch? Something like that? Sure. Yeah, Facebook Watch, <laughs> that's what it's on. I'm going to the game. If you're not going to the game, you can catch the game at Taft's Brewporium. They will be hosting a watch party, as always. For the game on Saturday, like I said, 5 p.m. Every time the Bearcats score a touchdown, pints will be half pint, half price. You only get a half a pint. That would stink. What a terrible special that would be. We just cut the pints in half. You only get half a cup. They mark it. Like, this is half. This is how much you get. You still got to pay full bread now. Uh, half price pints. Every time the Bearcats score, starting from as soon as they score a touchdown until they get the ball back on offense. So if you're not going down the double-A highway, making the trip to Huntington to watch the game, make sure you head to Taft's. The watch parties are always fantastic. Get yourself a pizza, maybe some garlic knots with some marinara sauce and some delicious beer cheese. Get yourself some wings. A lot of good food, a lot of good beer, and the Bearcats will be on as they take on the Marshall Thundering Herd. That is Saturday, 5 p.m., Taft's Brewporium. It's a BCJ watch party. And uh, I will be at the game. Brent and I are making our way down. I think my dad is going with me. I was uh, I was looking at the map uh, for parking, and we're going to park right across from where my, do- my, my old dorms from my Marshall days, where I used to watch Randy Moss and, uh, and White Chocolate Jason Williams play pickup basketball. Where you used to do a lot of studying, I assume. Yeah, no, no, I, that that wasn't really my thing. <laughs> um, it is where it's 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 where I uh, maybe my most embarrassing athletic feat ever, Dave. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. Playing uh, intramural softball, and I'm playing center field, high drive hit over my head, and I am on my horse, buddy. I am flying. Get to the fence. Stick up my glove. Ball hits my glove. Soon as the ball hits my glove, I crash into the fence. Except for, (laughs) it wasn't just the fence. It was one of the support poles that hold up the fence. Ouch. I'm sure there was lots of padding back then, too. Incorrect, sir. There was no padding. Uh, when I woke up, there were two athletic trainers uh, standing over me, both of them very cute, both of them asking if I knew my name. I did not. <laughs> like, I don't know my name, but I'd like to know yours. Yeah. Um, I, I went to the hospital that night. I was concussed. It's the only uh, recorded concussion on record for me. I think it's probably the only one I've ever had. Yeah. You were in protocol then. I was I was in protocol. Uh, I I think I lost about like eight hours of my life 
crashing into that stupid steel post supporting the fence. It's one of the, that one, that one was embarrassing. Probably wouldn't have been as bad. Like it was one of those like uh, dorm room intramural. You know, you play with the guys yeah, on I the see. floor of your dorm against. Right. You know, I, I was a freshman. It wasn't it wasn't too big of a deal. However. With the two trainers standing over top of me, very concerned. That was that was that was pretty embarrassing, Dave. But I digress. I'm sure I'll check out uh, if that softball field is still there. Maybe I'll I'll go relive the memory of where I was piled in a heap on the warning track. <laughs> the ball. The worst part too. The ball. I I lost the ball over the fence when I smashed into the post. I had made the catch. It was going to be a, a highlight reel catch in the outfield. And the ball went over. Home run. Wasn't good. Couldn't tell you if we won the game or not. But anyway, <laughs> the Bearcats are 25% of the way through their season. They have played three games. They are 2-1, and one, the loss being at Ohio State, the wins being against Miami and against the UCLA Bruins, who were – Involved in maybe one of the craziest games in college football history uh, over the weekend to, to get their first win of the year. Um, Dave, what what is your what are your overall feelings as we are at the uh, the quarter pole for the season here in 2019? A, a general overview of your thoughts. I think just overall, I cut in. Being into week four, it's kind of allowed me to start kind of digging into stats. It's tough those first few weeks because schedules are so imbalanced or unbalanced to kind of compare and look at things like Sagarin or S&P Plus or, or even just raw statistics, you know, compiled by the NCAA. But I feel like after kind of looking through some stuff, I think just kind of the way the Ohio State game went was kind of, you know, we didn't expect it to be like that. And the beginning of the Miami game maybe didn't have, you know, you would figure, oh, well, they just got smoked by Ohio State. They're going to come out and, you know, destroy Miami, blah, blah, blah. And, well, it didn't, ha- didn't happen at the beginning. It ended up happening. So I feel like kind of the way that those things have gone – maybe have tampered down a little excitement, but I think the bye week came at a good time from a health standpoint, but also I think the offense just wasn't clicking. Dez was banged up against Ohio State. I think he probably had a little bit of lingering effects um, from that in the Miami game. And obviously we've talked about the offensive line and the penalties. And I'm, I'm usually not someone that, honestly really cares about penalties. I think that's kind of a misnomer that, oh, well, if, you're, if, you, if you aren't penalized, that's, you're good. And that's really never the case. I mean, the teams that are the least penalized are never really the best and vice versa. The most penalized right. teams aren't the worst. It's like in basketball, I think the teams he, that play the fastest usually win like eight games. Right. So, but a part of it is, though, when you are a run-based offense, you can't be starting first and 15, first and 20 right. very often. Like, the pre-snap penalties, 
the holding on first down, holding on any down really kind of kills the drive. But the pre-snap stuff, the false starts, the offsides, the, the stuff like that, that is more concentration, is more discipline, can be fixed and have a tangible difference in what they do offensively. Because, like I said, when you're run-based, you just can't be putting yourself in those type of situations. And you get off schedule and you have slow starts like they did against Miami. And, you know, holy shit, they didn't have as many penalties in the second half. And they played much better on offense. Crazy how that works. So those are the type of things that I feel I'm pretty confident that they worked on during the bye, you know, Coach Fickle talked about specifically reviewing the penalties with the entire team. I'm sure they're trying to figure out where do we where do we want to go offensively as far as offensive line goes, as far as running game, kind of getting that going earlier. Um, so I just kind of think that just the, the optics of the way the Ohio State game went has kind of maybe skewed things a little bit to where it's not really that far off of kind of what I expected. I mean, you watch the UCLA game, the score is the score, but they pretty much dominated. And the Miami game, outside of the first 12 minutes, it wasn't even competitive. So, you know, I don't want to wash out the performance against Ohio State, but I don't think that's who this team is. And I don't think that's, you know, really what they are moving forward. Yeah, I mean... I get it to an extent, like, overreaction is what fans do in both directions. Um, we talked about that a lot last week with Mo. You know, the... the After UCLA, it was... They were going to go into Ohio State and, pro, and you know, maybe win. Um, after Ohio State, it was they're lucky... They're going to be lucky to win seven games. After the first quarter against Miami, it was, you know... This is a throwaway season, and that's just fans live and die by it. So I get that. But ultimately, you're right. Like, this team is pretty much exactly where we thought they were going to be. Outside of the fact that they, they threw away their chances to score at Ohio State and at least make that game feel respectable. And if they do that, then you probably don't have the wild overreactions that we have seen. Um, but ultimately, the only thing that really was unexpected was the first quarter against Miami. And th th they didn't play well against Ohio State. But I think we're getting a sense that that Ohio State team, everybody looked at them and said, look, new coach quarterback that doesn't have a whole lot of experience they're ripe for the picking they're playing as well as anyone in the country right now yeah i mean i think you have alabama clemson you have ohio state georgia and then i think just based on who they've played i might put oklahoma like just a hair below georgia and ohio state but ohio state is showing to be 
playoff caliber, national championship caliber. Right. And if you see a gun in there and was losing 21-7 at halftime and lost 42-17, like, do you do we think that the season the rest of the way is different versus just playing bad? They played a bad game. Yeah. And Ohio State is a very good team. And Ohio State so played really very well. Di- is it really any different losing 42 nothing versus 42-17? Like, they hung 70-something on Miami. They destroyed Indiana. Like, they've progressively gotten much better since week one and even since they played UC. Um, so, like, I'm – you know, I'll get into this when we talk about Marshall, but, like, I'm kind of – at this point, I'm kind of disregarding that game when I – look at the UC-Marshall game because I'm going to disregard their game against VMI and when we can kind of compare them because they've also had a bye, so they've two games and two yeah, games. It's easier, it's easier to compare the two, but I mean, kind of wrapping up the, the first quarter of the season, it's, you know, visually maybe it's different than, than what maybe we expected, but like if I just said they're going to be two and one, they're pretty much going to dominate UCLA and Miami and Ohio State is going to destroy them because Ohio State played a great game and UC didn't play very well, partly from their own fault and partly because Ohio State's really good. Like, would you have said, like in August, would you have been like, yeah, that sounds about right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. Like, I, I try to stay as in the middle as humanly possible. I'm generally on, on a lot of things, more of an optimist until you prove otherwise that I don't have any reason to be. Um, and I just don't think there's, there's that much difference. I, I don't think, you know, this team is that far off from where we thought they were going to be when the season started. So I, yeah, I, you hoped that the offensive line wasn't going to be an issue, but deep down, we all knew that that, that line last year performed incredibly well. Sure. And, I mean, maybe you look at it and say the the error was maybe not going out and, and getting a left tackle when you knew things might not work out for James Hudson. But they kind of struck gold last year finding a, a guy at the FCS level that came in and was a first-team all-conference left tackle. Like, that's not something you want to rely on year after year. At some point, you have guys in the system that you need to start developing. Well, and and guys that come in as FCS, from the FCS to this level, how many times are you going to hit it like they did? I mean, yeah, you that's could what I'm saying. continue to try to get – right. I mean – He's on his second NFL team. I mean, he's going to make – if he's on the practice squad, whether it's with the Bengals or whoever he was with before the whole year, he's going to make over $100,000 for the season just being on the practice squad. So, I mean, I think I think it doesn't hurt to always mind that area, and maybe they should have. But, like, at the same time – you you probably they had to feel confident. You know James was going to be get his waiver, and you know people guys probably weren't going to come here knowing that 
that that was what the plan was. So, you know, but, you know, we talk about that, but then at the same time, our, our other big question coming into the season was the defensive line, and they've obviously exceeded expectations so far. So it's just kind of, you know, it's sometimes things work out better than you thought, sometimes worse, sometimes exactly what you thought. And, and for me, we're still only three games in. Like, this season is nowhere near close to being written. Like, college teams develop at different points all the time. So, you know, what, what we've seen, is good or bad, is not necessarily indicative of what the next, you know, two and a half months is going to tell us. Yeah, I mean, and I get the concern does exist that they are embarking upon the toughest stretch of the schedule, even though, you know, things are a little different with Houston now, um, clearly, with Derek King uh, redshirting. He he promises he's going to be back next year. Yeah, I, I promise to stop eating, you know, garbage. And drinking beer at tailgates. Yeah, exactly. So he's not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> not kidding ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I get the the concern in that they this bye week was incredibly important. Like usually, bye weeks are for getting healthy. That has uh, has happened some, as you see Jared Dokes and Arquan Bush and Malik Mudge. Mooge, sorry, uh, and Josh Wiley back on the field. It's given them a chance to get healthy. But ultimately, this bye week was about not only cleaning up the penalties, as you mentioned, but getting things a little more solid on the offensive line and, and finding a way to get that, that offense on track because you've got Marshall, which is a very difficult game, which we'll get into here soon. And looking at Marshall, it's kind of like looking in a mirror uh, in terms of how this Marshall team is built. And then you've got UCF coming in on a short week on Friday night. So it's critical that they made very good use of the bye week. And, you know, it came at a very important time, I think. And it came at a time that they needed the bye week. We looked at it early and said, ugh, a bye week in week four? Come on. But as it turned out, it was a big time for them to have the bye week. Well, for me, with everybody having two bye weeks now, yeah. I thought it actually was, was good because it, they're split up even. They went three games by, four games by, three, or whatever, three games, or whatever it is. There's, what is it? Three games, and then there's four or five games, and then another bye, and then the rest of the season. Yeah. So... And and you know this, and people that follow really, you know, really closely know this. Like, you don't really get to practice when you're in game prep weeks, right? And that's what this team needed at this point was they needed some actual practice. They needed some time, whether it was three days, whether it was four days. I don't know how they broke it up, but they needed time to not get back to basics, so to speak, but to actually practice their stuff without having to worry about, okay, here's the scout team for Marshall and here's what they're, let's just, let's just focus on us. And then this week now we can focus on Marshall. 
And I feel like that is probably even more important than get, than possibly getting a few players back from injury that have been out for the season so far. Yeah. Uh, and I think defensively, like there's not a whole lot to, to pick at. Um, you know, I know some people have been upset with the fact that they're playing a little bit more zone and not as much of the aggressive man-to-man without James Wiggins. But obviously that's something the staff felt was necessary for right now. And, and you know, maybe they, they went through the first three weeks and, and we see more man because the defensive line is doing the job that they've been asked to do. Um, who knows exactly how that plays out until we see it on the field. But I think defensively, you talked about the D-line. I would definitely say they are exceeding expectations in terms of, you know, all of the unknown that was there. Uh, it is it has definitely been what we talked about in the preseason shows that a lot of that reliance in, in replacing that production was going to come on the outside. And we've seen that. Myjay Sanders has been good. Malik Van has been very good. Michael Pitts has been very good. And Ethan Tucky really has even stepped up and been very productive uh, as the number two guy or the 1A, 1B guy uh, behind Pitts at the jack position. And then the tackles are doing a very solid job. And that's allowing the rest of the defense to find a comfort zone, even without James Wiggins. So as we enter this stretch, I still feel pretty good about the defense. How about you? Oh, for sure. I mean, because the encouraging thing is, is when you talk about the defensive line and all the unknowns, that they're all contributing at various points. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, we, we were deep and we want to rotate guys in and we want to only have guys doing 30 to 40 snaps. Well, you can only do that if everybody that you're rotating in is actually producing. Because if guys aren't producing, then you're only going to be able to play the ones that are. And they're benefiting so far from production at various points from all those guys. Like I can think back to a play here or there that every one of those guys, whether it's defensive ends or interior guys, have made. So that allows them to keep doing that. And that's the biggest key is, you know, that I don't think we probably could have even projected. Like, I, we kind of thought this guy maybe was ready to take the step or this guy. But, like, to have eight, nine guys all jump in and make plays throughout the season so far is really encouraging as we get going further into the season. Yeah. As, and, and now you're going to be talking about those guys with more experience under their belt where they should continue – to get better and better uh, as that rotation continues to solidify itself. And I think it works exactly in theory the way that you would think because they've got eight guys that they're rotating in through there regularly. As you get later and later in the game, those guys wear out the opposing offensive line. And I very much thought we saw that against Miami because in the middle of the second quarter, that Miami offense was just absolutely gassed. Well, it, it didn't help them that three offensive linemen got hurt. <laughs> True. Fair. But they weren't all hurt in the second quarter. I mean, they kind of – it was like 
they they were all right when they ran their 15 scripted plays, but then after that, and it was like, okay, UC's had a chance to adjust, or UC's found their footing. It's like they didn't do anything. So, you know, I think that bodes well, again, for the, for the rest of the year, and regardless of who they're playing. It, it shows a lot of, of different things that, you know, should should be beneficial going forward. Yes. All right, let's get to the Thundering Herd. This is a team that, uh, when I think of, of Marshall, um, I think more of a, and it has been this way under under Doc Holliday. They've had good balance, but I think of a team, good athleticism, especially on the edges. Uh, they really like to test you defensively over the top. But this Marshall team is a little bit different. They have uh, become more of a power running team. They've got a really big uh, and veteran offensive line. And they kind of want to win the way Luke Fickle wants to win. They want to play defense. They want to run at you. They want to lay on you. They want to wear you down over the course of 60 minutes and try to pull away in the fourth quarter. So... I think we've got very similar styles going into this game. Um, so it'll be interesting on the road how the Cincinnati team responds because this is not going to be an easy out by any stretch of the imagination. No, um, but I think that that style benefits UC um, with them wanting to kind of do the same thing. And so – when I was looking, you know, getting ready for this with all the research and, and planning that I, you know, that I do, I was looking at, you know, just kind of like, well, what is Marshall doing? Everyone talked about, oh, well, they hung with Boise and and only lost by seven. So I'm digging into to them a little bit, and some interesting things popped up. So first off, like I kind of said, I'm going to disregard the Ohio State game from UC. I'm going to disregard the, the VMI game from Marshall because VMI is the 108th ranked team in S&P Plus in FCS. Yeah, that's so not good. They, they not good. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Like, Marshall hung with Boise at Boise, 14-7. Let me look and see, like, what, what, did that, what actually happened? I'm going to read you just some generic stats. And then I want you to tell me how this game ended up being 14-7. First down, Boise State 22, Marshall 9. Third down efficiency, Boise 10 for 17, Marshall 2 for 9. Total yards, Boise 437, Marshall 172. Passing yards, Boise 282, Marshall 56. Rushing yards, Boise 155, Marshall 116. Turnovers even at two. Sacks, Marshall had three, Boise had two. And Marshall committed three more penalties than Boise did. How is that a seven-point game? Turnovers? Well, they had the same. They only had two turnovers. So I, I dug in even deeper. Boise threw an interception on Marshall's 15-yard line. Failed to convert a fourth and two on their 29-yard line, and their field kicker missed like a 50-yard kick, which college kicker, I mean, I'm not even counting that. 
And then they had a sack fumble on Marshall's like 49, which no sure thing they would have scored there. So basically, Boise State dominated from like the 30 to the 30, but just could never, could never score. And Marshall did nothing the whole game. So that made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. You know, just looking at scores, you're like, oh, man, they really hung in there with them. And it, it was kind of a, you know, a lucky way to, to get to that point. So then they go and they play OU at home two weeks ago, 33-31, Marshall wins. OU, 6-12 on third down, over 400 total yards, over 200 rushing and passing. Did have a turnover. Marshall didn't have any. No sacks for either team. So pretty even game. Mm-hmm. So I looked at a few things. Taking out the VMI game. This is this was this bodes well, I think, for UC, especially with them wanting to run the ball. Marshall's 109th right now in third down defense. That's including the VMI game. Just using the Boise and Oklahoma or Boise and OU game. Those two teams were 16 from 29 on third down. And that is something that is something Cincinnati was very good at last year, but has struggled with this year on third down, converting third down. Right, converting third down. If you took out the, the VMI game, they would be second to last nationally in third down defense, giving up about 55% on third down. Any any theory as to why when you look at the Marshall defense? Are they are they not getting pass uh, rush? Are they I mean they they have a, they have a, a good a good interior defensive lineman. They have a pretty good defensive end that I think maybe missed the OU game but should be back. I think you know kind of Listening to Doc this week, he mentioned three and third and long that OU converted because of bad, basically bad eye discipline, bad discipline. So I don't know if maybe that means we might have some some open throwing lanes. Um, I think they're going to be, they're probably a little bit on the smaller, quicker side. Usually that's the case when it comes to like linebackers. You know, you don't see your six six two, six three, two thirty, two forty guys. You see your six foot six one, one ninety, two oh five type linebackers. Um, so you have that like OU I wouldn't have thought this, but I think they're kind of comparable to Miami. Like their one win this year is against Rhode Island and they just lost by twenty to Louisiana Lafayette. So I'm not sure exactly how good they are this year. Um, and then, you know, when you look at, you know, both of the, those teams, OU and Boise, both put up well over 400 yards. You know, OU ran for over 200 each way. Boise in the mid-100s rushing and then threw for more. I think I would say – UC's offense is definitely better than OU's and probably not as good or similarly built to Boise's right now. 
Uh, I know Boise has a true freshman quarterback. Um, but, you know, I think that's where, you know, I think UC can have some success offensively. And then defensively, like you said, they want to run the ball. You know, their leading rusher, Brandon Knox, 247 yards rushing already this year. Backup running back, 133. Quarterback Isaiah Green's almost rushed for 100. They have a a very unique tight end, Xavier Gaines, who plays tight end, running back, quarterback, slot receiver, and outside receiver. He, he rushed the ball like five times, I think, against OU, whether it was from a running back and quarterback standpoint. Um but it doesn't seem like they're a real heavy, you know, real heavy throw team. I think him and another guy both have eight catches through the three games. That's the team leaders. But you know, if you, you know, like we said, let's kind of disregard the Ohio State game and look at somewhat even opponents: Miami, UCLA, Boise, OU. You think defense hasn't given up more than? 215 yards to either of those, either of those games. And they're 218 to UCLA, 207 to Miami. Third down defense has been outstanding in those two games, allowing only 10 out of 29 attempts. So, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little more comfortable about where UC is just because if, if they kind of play to where we know we're capable of playing, they're playing, and we saw maybe flashes of that against UCLA and flashes of it against Miami, if they can kind of put that together. I feel like this is, is a game that they should be able to win just because I think there's, there's matchups uh, that, that favor them in this game. I'm looking up something real quick. Um... And then I also noticed their leading rusher, Brendan Knox. Coach Holiday made a little side comment in his press conference that if they'd have played last week, he's not sure that he would have been able to play. So, you know, we know how coaches are, especially in college, where there's no injury report. Right. So, like, is he saying he maybe not, maybe wasn't maybe going to play? And he'll be fine for this week, or is he maybe he wasn't wasn't going to be able to play, and you know he's still kind of banged up. So I think that's something something to keep an eye on. So, uh, sorry, I was I was deep in a rabbit hole. Marshall has recorded six sacks on the season. Right, four of them against VMI. Mm-hmm. So in the other two games, they only have two sacks. The biggest issue for Cincinnati's offense has been pressure. And Marshall doesn't have right, like anyone with more than one sack, I don't believe, on the season. Right. And like I said, four of those came in a game that they were significantly better than their opponent. Yeah, they, they don't have a single player with more than one sack on the season. So this is a defensive line that 
you would hope when looking at them on paper, you would hope this is a defensive line that allows Cincinnati's offensive line to find its groove. They're giving up what? Well, I mean, I forget his name, but I do know, because I think I kind of called this out this summer, probably their best defensive player and leading defensive lineman transferred this summer. Because it made some, you know, a few little headlines in in the college football world, and I, I saw it just someone retweeted it on Twitter and caught my attention. I think I retweeted it. You know, just as an FYI type deal. So it seems that they've not been able to find a replacement for that. Yeah. Now they're good against the run. They're only giving up 4.1 yards per carry against the run. Uh, Only 493 yards in three games. Uh, Some of that, again, waited for, for VMI. But they bounced their second best running back off the team. It was Tyler King, I believe. Yeah, Tyler King. Mm-hmm. He was kicked off the team uh, before their third game. So they've still got three decent backs. You mentioned Brendan Knox, uh, Sheldon Evans, and Isaiah Green, I think are two younger guys. That well, Green, been... Green's the quarterback. Okay. Evans is the, Evans is the younger guy, and maybe it's um, – Xavier Gaines. I know they had two younger guys that they have been pretty high on. Uh, Xavier yeah, Gaines is the tight end that plays all the different positions. Yeah, he's got six carries for 76 yards. 12.7 yeah. touch. That's usually I think crazy. five of them were last, were last week against, or two weeks ago against OU. Yeah. So, their running game is going to be at least difficult to to get a handle on. But they're not throwing much at all. What? 82 passes in three games? Eh, I guess that's a decent amount. But only 7.3 yards per pass, 11.8 per catch. 200 yards per game passing. When you include the, the, the inflated VMI game. This is a, a game that Cincinnati's front seven should be able to line the box and really come after Marshall's running attack. Yeah, I mean, they threw the ball 17 times against Boise and 28 times against OU. So in those two games, you're averaging about 20, 21, 22 passes a game. That's not very much in college. Right. You know, they had 40 carries-ish. 40 carries against OU. I mean, the, the, the game just was totally different, you know, against Marsh, against Boise. I mean, they, they only – this is another thing, how this game was this close. They threw the ball 17 times and rushed the ball 24 times. So they had, like, 42 plays from scrimmage. <laughs> Xavier Gaines threw a pass. Xavier Gaines threw a pass. So they threw 18 passes and rushed the ball 24 times. 42 plays from scrimmage in a college game, and you only lost by seven. They've got one. And it was 14 They've got an outside guy, Corey Gamage, eight receptions, 
122 yards on the season, one touchdown. Uh, Gains, again, big in the passing game. Eight, eight balls, 93 yards. He leads them with two touchdowns through the air. I mean, a lot in a lot of ways, you shut down Knox and Gaines, and this team is going to have a very difficult time trying to beat you. Yeah, I mean, Gamage's production almost exclusively comes in the VMI game. He had no stats in the Boise game and had three catches for 40 yards against OU. Yeah. So... I have to feel like this is a team that Cincinnati feasts on defensively. And what, it, what it's going to come down to, Dave, let's be perfectly honest. It's going to come down to penalties. It's going to come down to converting in the red zone because that has been an issue for this Cincinnati team so far. And it's going to come down to figuring out a way to not get behind the sticks, whether that be the penalties that I just talked about or not finding room for Mike Warren early in games. So you're setting up third and eight where a defense can come after Ritter. Um, they've got to play a lot more clean on offense in a lot of phases of the game. But if they do that, they should they should be able to go into Marshall and get out of there with a win. Yeah, I mean, what Marshall's going to do isn't going to be a try to do offensively. Isn't going to be a surprise. I don't think it's, you know, it's not a gimmicky or anything. I mean, and UC's rush defense has been, you know, fairly strong all year. Um, you know, I just, I think, like you said, it comes down to offensively, were they able to you know, get some things ironed out over the bye week. And, you know, can you cut down on penalties? Because as teams get better, you, you're just not going to be able to commit double-digit penalties anymore. Right. And and put enough drives together to, to beat the teams that most of the teams they're going to be playing the rest of the season. I mean – how many do you remember how many yards off the top of your head you see gave up rushing to Ohio State? Uh it's probably around two hundred. Yeah. They're only giving up hundred and thirty two yards a game on the ground. Even with Ohio State gashing them. Three hundred and ninety six rushing yards through three games is what they've given up. Two hundred or so they maybe gave more. Two seventy. 270. 270 to it. So through the other two games, they've only given up 126 yards on the ground. Even with the Ohio State game, they're only at 3.25 yards per carry allowed. UCLA ran for 62 and Miami ran for 64. Yeah. I mean, they would be what? Ninth is eighth in the nation. If you if it's just those two games, now that's not how it works. I get that, right? But I would say Marshall's rushing attack is much more like UCLA and and Miami than it is Ohio State. Yeah, like if we were right, it, that's exactly right. 
what they're doing offensively with the players that they have is closer to a UCLA and Miami than it is to Ohio State. It's just, that's just, I mean, just look at the numbers, and that's what it bears out. Like, whether it's Sagarin, S&P Plus, those four teams are all within, I would say, 20 to 30 spots of each other. Right. I mean, I have, so, like, Boise is 25 in Sagarin, and they rushed for 150-something yards and gave up 50-something to Marshall. UCLA is actually 14, or no, six spots ahead of Marshall at 68, Marshall 74, OU 77, Miami's 112. And Miami is 112 because they've played Iowa, UC, and Ohio State. Like, if they played a semi-normal schedule, they would, they're not that bad this right. year. All right. So, like, Go ahead. They're, yeah, they're definitely much closer to those teams than they are to a top-five team like Ohio State. All right, so let's get down to it. Dave, guess what, though, before we do that? You're going to tell me about some incredible coffee. Well, I got a good story. I got a coffee story. So we did, I'll I'll preface that, we did get good news today. We found out whatever's going on in Kelly's hip is not cancer. So that was good news. I'm having a couple uh, celebratory beverages. But Monday, she had to go in. She had to have a bone biopsy, which is drilling a hole in her hip to get whatever was in there out of the bone marrow to find out exactly what was going on. So we go in there. She had to be there at 630 in the morning. And I've realized over the past two years. I was also there, but not at 630 in the morning. You saw my car. I did. You're like, hey, Chad's here. And then you checked and you had that, you saw the spot where I got in a fight with a parking garage and lost. And uh, you're like, hey, that's Chad. So over the past, you know, two years, we've we've spent a lot of time in hospitals. And I have figured out, not that it's earth shattering or anything, but one way to make sure that your, your loved one is giving great care in the hospital is to take care of the nurses, right? So you know what I did Monday morning, Dave? You brought him some coffee. I took a bag of Trace Pountas coffee into the general surgery department at Mercy Anderson. And I gave the nurses coffee at 630 in the morning. And you know what? They loved us. You know why? Because Trace Pountas is delicious. And everybody likes free stuff. Yeah. Well, think about it. You, you know I mean, I can't imagine the coffee at a standard hospital, you know, nursing floor is all that great. They're probably, you know, they're probably buying Folgers or whatever, whatever coffee they can get their hands on to get them through the day. And then the overnight crew to get them through the night. So what better than to have freshly roasted gourmet coffee that was shipped directly to me and taken 
to the hospital for the nurses. And all those nurses, by the time we left at, I don't know, it was like 1130. It was like I, I had saved their day, Dave. It's like I was the hero. They're going to be talking about me. <laughs> In the general <laughs> surgery department for months at Mercy Anderson. Because I gave them a bag of beans that had the roast date clearly printed on it. One of the nurses looked at the roast date clearly printed on it where it said printed for or uh, fresh ground, fresh roasted for you on. And she was like, they fresh roasted this for me on September 14th. And I was like, that's right. They did. <laughs> and they enjoyed it because it's good. So how can you get it, you say? How can you be like the nurses at Mercy Anderson? You go to tracepontas.com, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com slash coffee. And you go in, you decide. Do you want a 12-ounce bag of whole bean or ground coffee? Do you want K-cups? Do you want light, light, medium, dark, or French roasts? Once you make all those decisions... You get your subscription. You get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. And then when you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats. And when you enter Bearcats at checkout, that gives you 20% off. And you get free shipping. So you get 20% off your subscription. For the life of your subscription, 20% off. You get free shipping. And you know what, Dave? If you got a loved one that's going into the hospital and you got to be there bright and early in the morning... You take a bag with you, and you ensure that your loved one gets the top of the line, highest quality care, because you gave those wonderful nurses free coffee. They loved us. There you go. That might be the best read Trace, Trace Pountas has ever had. Oh, it's got to be up there, top three at least. You know what I should have done? I should have gotten audio of the nurses telling me how great the Trace Pountas coffee was. And then I could have played their testimonials here in this ad read portion <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> All right, Dave, score prediction. What do you got? I think the Bearcats offense gets back on track. Uh, I think there's there's some plays to be made down the field and then also in the running game. I, I, like, I like where this bye hit, I think – you know, reading the tea leaves of the way Coach Fickle uh, was talking in his press conference, I think they might get Arquan Bush back on some form of a pitch count, so to speak. I'm not entirely sure about Jared Dokes. Maybe another week on him, but I if they got Bush see, back, that would... I, I think Bush will be good to go. Um, I think the only thing you worry about with Bush is he hasn't played any football since the ECU game last year. Right. Because he missed... I think maybe just some limited snaps, certain situations, depending on how the game yeah. goes, type deal. Um, but I I think, I, I don't, you know, after digging in, I know some people have, you know, probably will worry about this one. Marshall's got an excellent record at home. I think there'll be a good number of Bearcat fans there. But uh, I like UC 35-24. 35-24. I think, it's, I think it's, it might be a little bit more low scoring 
um, only because I think both of these teams are going to try to to run the ball as, as early and often as possible. And I think that's going to be a lot of a, a lot of clock movement. So I I'm going Cincinnati 24 Marshall 14. I think that's what I'm going. Because I, I just don't know with the way that both of these teams like to play. And watch, they'll both come out and throw it 35, 40 times uh, in this one. <laughs> both coming out of a bye week, both trying to look different for uh, <laughs> for their for their, their fourth opponent. Um, but I do think it's an opportunity for Cincinnati to, uh, to, to, to get some good vibes rolling into Friday night in what will be a big-time game against UCF on ESPN, uh, a game that we will talk about plenty as we get into next week. So, Oh, yeah, plenty of time for that. Got to take care of this one first. You're not going down, right? You're watching on Facebook at home? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> we'll see how I... I mean, how it, I, uh... you, stream on your, you stream games on your phone. You can watch a stream of Facebook on your phone. Oh, I know. Come on. I can watch it on my new smart TV. There you go. That was uh, people. Then uh, I, I, don't, it, I don't know how that works for like flipping back and forth to other games, though. If you have to like go back into the stream and go through like the whole process of like, not like, you know, channel flipping normally. So I might have to put it on the computer or something like that. Wow. I have faith. I will say it's going to be we. I haven't been back down there in a long time. I'd say it's probably been 1999 or so since I've been down to Huntington. So it'll be it's going to be weird walking around campus a little bit before the game on on Saturday. Yeah, I was thinking too. I think the last game that I watched on my computer, I'm pretty sure was the game two years ago at Tulane where the guy missed like the 22-yard field goal or whatever that would have won them the game. So there's good juju. Your last well, game you watched I mean, on the computer was a win. It was. It was quite, a lot closer than I had hoped. But you're, you're not going to go to uh... – you're not going to go to Taft's and, and do the watch party? Run the watch party for me? No. <laughs> no. Everybody, everybody knows my deal with, with watching games in public. They never win. So nobody wants me to go. <laughs> I don't want you to go. You're correct. I have no desire to hear that you were at Taft's because my guess is that means a bad outcome. Yeah. I went one time last year. It was one of their two losses. And if you would have went the other time, it probably would have been the other loss because that was the other one you were thinking about. Well, I mean, I don't think it would have mattered if I was there in California or in Tahiti for the UCF game. Yeah, that one didn't really (laughs) matter at all. That one wasn't going to matter. All right, brother. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about next week. Um, I've I've got a big one dropping tomorrow. 
I, uh, I did I tell you where I didn't tell you where I spent a co- uh, some time today. No, I spent, where? I spent some time today on the sixth floor of the Linder Center. Oh, that's that's exciting. I've got a uh, little sit down with new Cincinnati men's head basketball coach John Brannon. Practice starts on Friday, and coach was uh, kind enough to extend what we've done in football with Luke Fickle right before training camp starts. He, uh, he allowed me to come up into his office and, and get his thoughts on the Bearcats as the first practice starts on Friday. So uh, a video coming tomorrow afternoon that I know everyone will enjoy uh, after they have consumed this podcast as well. So stay yeah. tuned for that. We got a lot of good stuff going on. And I will see you. Well, we will see you. We're going to have to probably go, what, Tuesday, probably a little early next week with the Friday game. Yeah, probably Tuesday. And hopefully some info on uh, who's going to be in town for Midnight Madness after the football game. And a lot to talk about. Hopefully one of those things we talk about is a win versus the Thundering Herd in Marshall on Saturday. So... He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.